it was about bringing people back to that common consensus, which was we're all sat around this table because we want to make a difference. And what we currently have isn't good enough. Um, and I think it was coming back to that keystone, really, of what we were trying to, to achieve that really helped us to move things on. And I think the conversations that we had actually brought us all on and we ended up with a much better outcome because all of those heads had been together than we would have done in the first instance. Hello and welcome to Partnership in Practice, our new integrated care podcast series focusing on partnership working and relationship building across systems. My name's Ken Worthing, I'm the co-production manager from National Voices and I'm your host for today's episode. This three-part series will bring together insight, knowledge and first-hand experience of how strong relationships have helped local partners to deliver more joined up and effective responses to the collective challenges and pressures that systems face. We'll be shining a light on various topics spotlighting how the NHS, local government, adult social care and people and communities can work together effectively. From national problems to local solutions, this series will leave you with some food for thought once you've finished listening. In the third and final episode of this current series, we'll be discussing how working in partnership with people and communities can help integrated care systems find answers to tough challenges in health and care while also empowering engaged local communities to feel recognised as partners of influence within their system. Focusing on approaches taken within Bedfordshire, Luton and Milton Keynes integrated care system, we will be spotlighting how collaboration between system partners and local communities is helping systems to design better solutions for the challenges local communities are facing. We'll hear more background to a health inequalities review from Bedfordshire, Luton and Milton Keynes led by Reverend Denny to understand what the barriers to good health are for the local population and the benefits that partnership working can bring to everyone involved. But before we get into it, let's hear from our expert panel. Thank you, Kim. My name is indeed Lloyd Denny. I'm a local pastor in Luton. I used to sit on what was before Luton Clinical Commissioning Group and it's from that position uh, towards the end of my tenure I was asked to uh, lead the review that we're talking about. My name's Julia Robson, I am the Inequalities Programme Lead um, for the Integrated Care Board. So with others I'm here to help project manage the review so yeah looking forward to um, talking more about it. Hello, my name is Diana Blackman. I'm the Chief Executive of Healthwatch in central Bedfordshire. Healthwatch is the local consumer champion. And on this particular review, um, we worked with two of our system partners to create a survey for residents to complete about uh, the health inequalities um, that they may suffer as a result of accessing particular services across Beds, Luton and Milton Keynes. I'm Michelle Summers. I'm Associate Director for Comms and Engagement for the ICB, but I lead the Working with People and Communities work stream. Uh, and for the Denny Review specifically, I led the engagement approach uh, and partnership working for the whole programme. Really great to be here. 
Just a bit of background of the Denny Review. I believe it was commissioned to understand what the barriers to good health were for people who experience health inequalities. Would anybody like to give me a bit more context and background in terms of this piece of work and the local context? If, if I may, uh, Cam, uh, it was commissioned in 2020. It began really in response to what I think everyone felt uh, across the board that health inequalities was always something that lingered. The pandemic kind of highlighted it, exacerbated it, amplified it. I was asked if I could uh, lead a review uh, post uh, Professor Fenton's report that was uh, produced in 2020 in the immediate aftermath of the early days of COVID. So that's really the, the origins of it. Uh, since then, it's widened its terms of reference slightly because of the learning that we all arrived at uh, since 2020. Uh, the medicine rollout, the vaccination rollout, all taught us things that we didn't quite know before. And so we were able to tweak the terms of reference to capture a slightly wider brief to make sure we didn't lose anything because we're going down one particular road, i.e the pandemic and only the pandemic. And I think that extra time uh, has helped to produce probably in the end, when the end arrives, we're still in the process, uh, a better report than originally intended. So it might just be worth saying that we received a letter from an organisation called Loud uh, and they're descendants of Windrush in Bedford Borough. And they were remarking at the time on the terrible impact that COVID had had specifically on the black community. And they felt that uh, health inequalities were compounding. That meant that that community was more severely affected. Um, and they invited uh, Paul Calaminis, who is the uh, senior responsible officer for the health inequalities programme, and myself to go along and to listen to local views. And it was a incredibly powerful meeting um, where we heard very loud and clear that health inequalities were no longer something that they would tolerate. When we came away and had conversations with our then chief executive and spoke about understanding better why health inequalities were such a problem, particularly in our area. We're at an incredibly diverse four places as Lloyd's already alluded to, and it was an opportunity for us to understand why people were experiencing those health inequalities. Um, and I'd worked very closely with Lloyd, who was the patient participation lead in Luton, uh, and a very respected uh, reverend in the community in Luton. Uh, and it made sense, really, that we would ask Lloyd to spearhead this really important review for our area. So that was really the, the background to, to that work. Brilliant. Thank you, Michelle. And Julia? So I'll say BLMK for Beds, Luton, Milton Keynes. So every part of BLMK has neighbourhoods with higher levels of deprivation, but there are large differences in the proportion of neighbourhoods and the 20% most deprived in England. So we know that health outcomes are worse in deprived areas, but in BLMK, we see that people from the most deprived areas are less likely to be diagnosed with cancer. They're more likely to be categorised as healthy well. Um, so it suggests that people in more deprived areas are not having health conditions diagnosed earlier and are likely to be presenting to the healthcare system at a later point in the progression of their disease. 
we also understand that Luton has the highest levels of deprivation. So that means like 24% of our neighbourhoods are amongst the 20% 20% most deprived neighbourhoods in England. Um, so many factors contribute to deprivation, um, including worse educational outcomes, low income, mental ill health and lack of suitable housing. So I think what was really important to us is, is treating this review as that whole holistic approach to inequalities, not just looking at the health. And just looking at the review, it kind of highlighted that, you know, no surprise, the people that it affected mostly are, you know, the Gypsy, Roma and Traveller communities, people from ethnic minorities, those with learning disability, living in deprived areas, homelessness, migrants and the LGBTIQ plus community. So, Diane, obviously those are areas that come up quite often in deprived areas. How was Health Watch um, involved and how did you get involved in the review? Well, initially we were invited to some meetings and we worked alongside our other um, Health Watch in Luton, Milton Keynes and Bedford Borough and also other voluntary and community groups um, to determine, first of all, how we could engage uh, with the public because we were trying to reach many residents across Bedsluton and Milton Keynes and um, we all kind of decided between us what projects we could work on and what areas we would concentrate on. The category we chose in Central Bedfordshire working with the Disability Resource Centre, the DRC, and with the Community Dental Services, the CDS, was um, people who may be disproportionately impacted due to a physical or learning disability living in deprived areas of Bedfordshire, Luton and Milton Keynes. We hadn't previously worked with people with physical or learning disabilities very much in the past, so it was something we wanted to get very involved in, and that's why we decided to partner up with AND. We wanted to, to delve a bit more into those health inequalities that might affect that category of people. So that's kind of how we got involved, and then we, we ran with it from there. What was the aim, really, of the review? What was the united goal between the, all of the system leaders at an integrated board level? Well, thank you, Kim. I think if I can sum it up as briefly as I can, the aim really is to provide answers in our hearts. We know that something's not quite right. And it's not about blaming X or Y or Z or Z. But how then do we arrive at a, uh, the answer that could provide assurance to everyone, most notably the, the, the minority communities, that the, the horrors of the pandemic and previous problems will not just continue forever into the distant future? The, whatever the review arrived at, people believed that it was good, it was accurate, it was honest and uh, effective. And that was a key driver for me. Um, I just wanted to say that for us and for all the other local health watch that we worked with, um, we wanted to understand what specific services work well for individuals and which ones don't. Um, we wanted to know how those services could be improved. 
Um, we also wanted to know what was most important to them in the way they are treated by healthcare professionals and what they think are the barriers to accessing healthcare services that do not work so well for them. Um, and we also wanted to know how communications could be improved to access services more easily and also if they knew about preventative services and what preventative services were available for them. So for, for myself and our HealthWatch colleagues in Bedford, Luton and Milton Keynes, we wanted to find out this information so that we could better inform the commissioners and providers what these um, local people were experiencing and what we could do to, to help improve services for them. Thank you, Diana. So my next question really was in terms of buy-in and how did you get you know that buy-in from these leaders for this piece of work? I'm just reflecting on my own personal experience in terms of how you get strategic co-production to happen in integrated care systems and um, integrated care boards and um, a lot of leaders will sign up to programs like making it real in social care at National Voices, we've got a programme called Voices for Improvement, where you get people with lived experience and we um, train them and, to, to, and coach them to be coaches and mentors with a one-to-one -one relationship with a system leader. So, um, you know, sometimes if you've got like a programme or something for leaders to grab into to get, to, that gives them something different, that can also help just from my experience. But Michelle, would you like to share? Yeah, thanks, Kem. Um, so I think I think it was really difficult when it got to the detail of of the how. That was when it became incredibly difficult because we're looking at systemic change, and uh, a lot of our colleagues were working in place. So in Luton, for example, there is the fabulous thoughtless and change work uh, that's being led by the University of Bedfordshire and Luton Council. Absolutely, you know, um, brilliant, but trying to explain that there is change that will happen at place but wanting to make sure that we eradicate any postcode lottery so that if you live five miles away but you're in central bedfordshire which is a different area that residents are going to get the same experience or the same opportunity within that area um, and so for me it was really difficult saying yes absolutely that brilliant work is happening at place but how do we apply that to the rest of the system and how do we bring that consistency across um, and sometimes that led to really challenging conversations but I think Diana touched on um, the prevention agenda as a really important agenda as well you know if we're trying to help to prevent ill health then we need to understand what the problems are and, and why people are getting sick um, and how we can engage with people on their terms. There are significant communities within our area where there are trust issues. Um, and so for us, the really important thing was around uh, identifying early on who um, the communities were and who they trusted and asking those, those groups to do the engagement rather than it being led by the same people uh, that does the engagement all of the time. And that for us was the, the biggest thing that we changed as part of this piece of work. But it was about bringing people back to that common consensus, which was we're all sat around this table because we want to make a difference. And what we currently have isn't good enough. Um, and I think it was coming back to that keystone really of what we were trying to, to achieve that really helped us to move things on. And 
I think the conversations that we had actually brought us all on and we ended up with a much better outcome because all of those heads had been together than we would have done in the first instance. So it was not without its challenges, but I do think that we got to that end point where we needed to be. Yeah, and there's something about it not being one partner that can improve it all on their own. It has to be um, systems and people and communities working together at the heart of this to get solutions. Um, Julia, would you like to come in? Yeah, sure. I think it's good to note that in July 2022, we also came together as the Beverly Luton and Milton Keynes um, Health and Care Partnership. So that means coming together um being brought closer together than ever before. Um, we know that we are more effective when we work together and the services that we provide are better for residents. I think the benefits of working and partnership, you could look at the use of resources, even just to start with. So um, there's shared costs and, and risks. You avoid duplication and waste. You combine skills and experience. You know, we know that you have greater innovation and, create, um, and greater creativity when working with diversity as well, ensuring that the, di that the staff is made up of um, the community itself. You streamline your systems. I think in terms of your culture and ethos is so important. You create shared learning and training. Um, you encourage innovation and creativity, as I've already said, with that non-blame culture. You build relationships for the future. Um, and you remove those barriers. I think we've spoken about that quite a bit for removing barriers um, for those who use the services. You know, building on like one of the NHS priorities of strengthening the leadership and accountability, it's a better time than ever to come together to understand how we can be stronger together um, and learn from this review in order to do so. The next question to Reverend Lloyd Denny, what the role faith organisations have to play in integrated care systems and how we they can be used to deepen trust and engagement with people and communities? People still are practitioners of faith. And not only that, they are a ready audience. Faith, faith leaders are well respected within their own communities. They touch not only upon the visitors or the members but their friends, their families, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been uh, uh, an eye opener, I think, for some, not all, that to really engage with certain communities without engaging with them on the faith level, you really miss a huge opportunity. We didn't want to make that mistake. Uh, the, the fact that I'm a person of faith myself and a leader of, of a faith community, uh, is convenient in a way, but that wasn't a prerequisite. But the fact that I am, I was able to bring that learning to the process. In answer to your specific question, even as a faith leader, uh, I don't necessarily try to, uh, what's the word, dictate what people should think or believe. What my job is and what many other faith leaders have done is be uh, a gatekeeper to say, listen, you can trust us. We will let you know who's out there, where to get information. We'll even give you the literature. We'll even tell you how it, these things were. Bring the, the experts to you. And that's what we were able to do. We brought experts to the community to say, listen, listen to them. We're in the same room as you. Listen to them. Ask a thousand and one questions, and at least you get the proper answers. You're not getting it via some suspicious, un untrustworthy source. 
And I think this is one of the major uh, additional uh, dimension to the, the review that we've been able to uh, negotiate some of the, the obstacles that were there and still are there in some way, but we've broken down a lot of the, the obstacles and the barriers. No, thank you. And you touched on leadership, trust and relationships there, which is really important for people to work together. And it actually allows for wider access for shared learning for communities as well. So thank you so much for that. So my next question was really, what were the results of this review and how did you de demonstrate that things were working? In answer to the question it's it's more to do with the engagement that was undertaken and the reports produced because that actually shows that um there was an absolute wide range of rich feedback that was provided by local residents which as i said is evidenced in in all the reports that were produced by um my colleagues in in health watch and the other voluntary and community groups um it was easy to see that people did open up and tell us about their experience but also they wanted to tell us um what needs to happen to help improve service provision um, many people were very articulate. They were happy to, to provide that, that feedback from whether it be an individual or from community groups um, or other um, social groups just across BLMK. I mean, as an example, um, our survey alone generated over 1200 responses from local people and this was followed up with some one-to-one -one case studies as well. So I think that you know people are willing to tell us what's not working well what is working well um and it's it's that feedback that we rely on and um, to act on so that we can improve service provision for local residents just thinking about that sort of partnership working i'll just give an example we know that um there's a huge issue with the cost of living and fuel poverty across BLMK. So fuel poverty in BLMK varies from 7.3% in Milton Keynes to 16.4% in Luton. So we know that the cost of living crisis will increase in the number of households affected by fuel poverty in the coming months and years. It is estimated that 55% of UK households will be experiencing fuel poverty by January 23. That means over 80% of large families, lone parents and, pen and pensioner couples will be in fuel poverty. And we've been able to work with our faith leaders and our partners to create those warm spaces across BLMK. So people have got a real safe and welcoming and warm place to go to, you know, throughout our um the real cold months that we've been experiencing recently so i think it's just good to point out that we've just we've got some great work that we're able to build on across blmk and really work in partnership with those trusted sources thank you and as i said it is a great example of partnership working and what are the next steps or goals with this piece of work we need to come together first of all and have a look at what the review was set out to do in the first place. So I think we need to reflect together um, as a group and see, have a look at the themes that we have captured um, so far with the engagement. Um, I think there's some real quick wins. There's some great works I've already mentioned going on across the system. So let's build on that. You know, we've, for example, we had some feedback to say, like, we, we'd we love from the LGBTQ plus community, like, we'd really like you to do some sensitivity training with the GPs. And we've had some great case studies. We've already implemented some of that. So let's build on what we've already done across the system and hit that low hanging fruit. 
I think together in terms of looking at the um, recommendations going forward, there's some that we have, it's sort of tip of the iceberg, if you like. So there's there's longer term work we need to do in terms of building trust with communities and especially with the wider determinants of health. There's so much more to do with that. I think in terms of the recommendations that we've learned from so far, I think together in terms of that partnership working, we need to come away as that sort of helicopter view and see the system. And I think we, we've we already started designing ideas together. Now it's our chance to start testing these ideas together robustly in a way that allows us to measure improvements and know what works and then to spread the learning. Thank you, Julia. And just from reflections for myself with my lived experience head on and the difference that we've made here at National Voices is by being involved and by working in partnership with people, we've actually been able to diversify our our team and our board we've now got you know we often don't talk about racism and we should be allowed to talk about racism in the workplace and in communities because that you know it, it is an, a hurdle in the way of people accessing services the first thing you see is the color of somebody's skin or if they sound different to what we're normally used to so um, it's been refreshing in national voices to go through those changes and support those changes and just within strategic co-production and my experience myself, um, the way to do that is by building allies and, and, and working together in partnership. Um, it's, it's more cost effective. You can be more resourceful. And my takeaway would be let's not think too much about the how. Why don't we just do it, try it and don't be afraid to fail and then try another way again done lots of that lately but I just would say you know just do it and have a go. One of the things that we have talked about is is to share this with healthcare professionals uh, as the next step which I think is really important and perhaps do some co-production with healthcare professionals because the report identified that there were significant unconscious bias mm-hmm. um, that that was prevalent in the health system And I think there's an an element of holding the mirror up to ourselves that we need to be doing around this. And some of the people that we have engaged with are incredibly vulnerable um, and aren't in a position to be in that room yet uh, to co-produce. But their advocates and their allies absolutely are. And so we want to start thinking about how we bring those people together and look at, look, this is the feedback. So what can we do? What's within the art of the possible to, to make some of those fixes? And as Julia said, we've done some sensitivity training. So there's all of that learning that we can bring to our area. And I think for me, that's a really important next step is looking at the wider uh, health and care partners and how we can make a difference as well. And Diana, I just wanted to come in quickly to say that um, I agree with a lot of what Julia said about we need to reflect and there are some quick wins that we can build on and also look at the recommendations. But I think for me, it's it's more about the actions. We need now to take action. We've done a lot of talking. We've had a lot of discussions. We've had a lot of engagement. We need to take action. And then once that action is taken and a plan is put in place, we need to then go back and talk to local residents again and ask them what difference has it made to them? Have they actually seen a difference from the actions that have been taken? Because I'm really interested to find out it's the people on the ground that um, have the experience, that have the knowledge, that can tell you if it's actually made a difference to them and changed their life. 
Absolutely, Diana. And you can see now in health and social care and in housing, you now see roles that are advertised for people with lived experience to be part of the actual organisation, which is brilliant. I, since I've been involved in this for 10 years, I've never seen more of it than I have now. And finally, can I ask you two questions in one? What are your aspirations for the future and what's the one thing that you hope people listening to this podcast will remember about partnership working and building? Diana? For me, um, the one thing that I think people listening to this, to this podcast will remember about partnership working is it's about working together to highlight the experiences of local people accessing health and social care services. It helps to give them a voice. It's an opportunity for all partners to be involved in making sure that community voices are heard and acted on because an individual voice can be lost. But by working together, we have shown that feedback about health and care services is very important to us. And we can use that feedback to influence and hopefully improve the quality of service provision for all, whatever their gender, their age, their disability or where they live. And same question to Julia. I couldn't have said that better myself at all, to be honest with you. But I, I think I guess the only thing I wanted to add is when you're embarking on such such a complex issue such as inequalities I think you need to be in I think I really think you need to accept your mistakes and forgive yourselves and keep learning together and I think by doing that you really need to adopt that sort of non-blame culture and um, be open and be honest with each other and just keep working together and you know you will start making an impact by working with your communities by working with your people together and michelle any reflections from you you know i'd really love to get to the point where we don't have seldom asked communities anymore that there are communities who are regularly giving their views uh, through those trusted routes whether that's through the faith communities whether that's through the schools, whether that's through Health Watch or any other groups and communities of interest we've established. I think for me, that would be the, the moment that I think, OK, we, we might have cracked this a little bit. Um, I think the, the one thing I'd want people to remember is that it's going to take a generation to change. You know, we can't change this overnight. This is entrenched behaviour, but we have to start now and we have to get on that journey and it is going to be a journey and it's going to be really difficult along the way but you know it's going to be so worthwhile at the end of it uh, and hopefully in BLMK we've made that start. I think that what I would certainly like people to be aware of or read the report and think about its recommendations and findings and whatever else is health, good health is everybody's business really. It can be seen as a catchphrase, a cliche, but it is in fact the truth uh, because no one really uh, can expect to leave their, 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 their health, their good health or their health care solely in the hands of a GP or the hospital. They have to involve others, whether they be family members, friends and themselves. It's everyone's business.
Thank you, Reverend Lloyd Denny. And that brings me to say that the one thing I'd want people to um, take away from listening to this podcast today, being somebody with lived experiences, um, this actually started my career getting involved. I was somebody caring 24 seven for my mom that couldn't talk and couldn't walk. Sadly, she passed away um, from COVID in 2020 and we've had lots of learnings from that. But what I'd like people to take away is I've worked with leaders that have been willing to share the power for me to learn and co-lead locally and nationally. And and I've been supported to do that. Um, And I would love people with lived experience to get more involved, have a voice and be supported to sit around the um, integrated care board table to help make the decisions that need to be made for those people living in deprivation, facing health inequalities. Well, that's it. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you to our expert panel, Reverend Lloyd Denny, Michelle Summers, Julia Robson and Diana Blackman for your time and invaluable insight. We hope you've enjoyed listening. This is the final episode in our new Integrated Care podcast series, focusing on partnership working and relationship building across systems. However, don't worry, you can catch up on what you've missed wherever you get your podcasts. I've been Ken Worthing and this has been Partnerships in Practice, an integrated care podcast from NHS England. Thanks for listening.